Welcome to Words and Pictures, the show about the narrative arts. I'm your host, S.W. Concer, and today we're talking about stop-motion animation. I'm joined by two distinguished animators here in the studio. Suzanne Moulton is a filmmaker, artist, and educator who's worked with Tim Burton on Frankenweenie, with Chris Butler and Sam Fell on Paranorman, and with Henry Selleck on Coraline. She's been teaching stop-motion animation at the Portland Art Museum's Co-Laboratory, and she's been directing a short film, Nowhere's Wolf, in partnership with the Center for Biological Diversity and the Tahoe Wolf Center. Gerald Howard has sculpted, animated, and run the camera at animation studios around the world, including Bent Image Lab, Will Vinton Studios, and Ardman Animation. His handiwork can be seen on Saturday Night Live, Portlandia, and feature films such as Wallace and Gromit, Curse of the Weir Rabbit. And his most recent short film, shot at his home during the pandemic, is called Quarantine Cat. Gerald and Suzanne, welcome to Words and Pictures. Thank you so much for having us. Thanks, Conch. Glad we finally made it. it was, we kind of had like fits and starts there. A pandemic got in the way, but uh, yeah. here we are, finally. Here at last. And before we get started, I'd like to give a shout out to Words and Pictures co-founder Bill Dodge, who's helping us out today at the soundboard. So, Gerald, Suzanne, you're both animation directors who work in stop motion and stop motion. People might think of it as puppet animation or clay animation, but you work with very different materials. Yes, I work with a lot of felt and fabric um, and textiles of all sorts. My background is in wire, and so that just translates so much into fibers being very straight and then crinkling them up into shapes, and that's my form of puppetry. Right, that's actually a big challenge to work with fiber because you're doing, you're shooting one or two frames at a time, and when you work with fiber, well, it tends to be a little bit uh, anarchic, and you're never sure when it's gonna puff up or sit down in a strange way that'll look funny on film. Oh yeah, Gerald can speak to this a lot. <laughs> yeah, that's part, of the, that's part of the charm of it though, that's part of the look, it's, it's, you can't get it super, super, super polished, so it's gonna have its own sort of look, that, that technique. And Gerald, you've been helping out on uh, Suzanne's film, Nowhere's Wolf. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I've done a, a handful of shots of, uh, yeah, the wolf traversing his various territories, which Suzanne has, it's really cool. They've, she's made the sets look like specific parts of, of the state of Oregon. Susie, we mentioned your short film is called Nowhere's Wolf, and you sculpt with all natural materials. That's part and parcel of the project itself. Yes, in a way. I'm trying to stick with uh, repurposed and, and found materials and recyclable materials. Like on our sets, instead of using styrofoam, we're using a lot of repurposed cardboard boxes and paper tape and glues like um, Elmer's glue, school glue, so that when we finish our sets, we can actually take off the skin of fabric that we've decorated our set with and we can either build off of that that paper foundation or we can actually break it down and it goes right into the recycle bin and it can be made right back into paper products. Wow, it's uh, either recyclable or compostable. We try to do that as much as possible. Um, some of the things that we also try to do are use non-toxic materials instead of using uh, two-part epoxies or epoxy putties. We try to use a, a material called um, 
PCL plastic for short. That is a hot water meltable plastic that you can form with your hands. And uh, it's almost infinitely reusable. You can reform it and it becomes as rigid as, as nylon. And so it's really great for making armatures out of. And it's a non-toxic material that's actually been rated by the FDA and the Medical Association because it was designed and developed for internal prosthetics and medical devices. So we did mention armatures. Um, give people a little bit of a sense of what that's about. Armatures are built either in prosthetic devices or in stop-motion uh, characters so that they, they have joints, so that they're bendable. Yeah, so the, a lot of t- people say the armature is much like your, your skeleton, but it acts not just as your skeleton, but as your muscles. And for makers that are at home in a home studio, that's really where I've tried to mentor and, and shift the project from just being a film project to being a mentoring project to show here's how you can use these materials at home without having that many resources. And so the armatures that I work on are mostly made out of wire and I've really specialized in trying to make the wire last as long as possible. And over my years of experience, I've seen wire break down and wear out in specific ways so I know how to support it so it doesn't break at those points and that's what I do a lot of YouTube tutorials about try to make it open and available to a lot of creators out there that are just starting out and want to get into animation and they don't have the funds for like an expensive armature that's made out of ball sockets and soldered together and such. So Nowhere's Wolf this was inspired by the reintroduction of wolf populations into the state of Oregon. And what, the first wolf that was introduced, or introduced himself, I'm not sure which, he was known as OR7. Yeah, uh, Norris Wolf is inspired by a real-life wolf. The scientific community knows him as OR7. That's his designation because he was uh, the seventh to be collared in Oregon. His story, because of his journey, that tracked, uh, I think, over thousands of miles across the state and down into California, sparked a lot of interest in the communities and in the media, and that created a whole interest by school children to actually get him named. So they had a competition among different children, and the winning name was Journey. And I just wanted to continue his legacy and his story with a medium that really is accessible to children. There are several different documentaries about Journey. However, they're more documentary style, and I, I just definitely wanted something that children could hold on to and see an art form that they could do themselves and create their own stories from that and even find animals that they want to advocate for. That's what this project, Norris Wolf, has been about, is connecting communities with educational programs, connecting them with ways to actually see and, and understand real wolves, connecting them with researchers so they can get ex- inspired by what their future can be and different careers that are available. 
One of the things that, yeah, when you talked to me about first working on the project, too, was you said that traditionally, mostly all of the, in any media, wolves are portrayed as these evil creatures, you know, and you wanted to change that. And I was like, wow, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. And that's led us to um, reach out to find uh, recordings of wolves that aren't just that Halloween wolf howling sound. We did a, a online event a webinar with uh, Oregon Wild and Craig Law Center. I got a shout out to both of those um, groups. They've given the project a lot of support and in outreach to communities. Through that, I get a I reach out like, please, if anybody can help us with real wolf call recordings, real wolf vocalizations, really could use that for our film because we want to portray real wolf behaviors. And we had the Tahoe Wolf Center reach out to us. Oliver Starr runs that. And he offered to record his two ambassador wolves, Eknik and Oktok. We've been receiving different recordings from him. And it's especially great in the winter time when the air is really crisp and the snowpack is just absorbing a lot of ambient sounds. So you can just hear that the vocalizations over the mountains really clearly. Yeah. Well, these howls, these real wolf howls, they make it into the film Noah's Wolf? Yes, we'll be working them into the film. Yeah. And let's play a little bit of what will become the soundtrack of Nowhere's Wolf. Here are Iknik and Oktok howling together. <laughs> You're listening to Words and Pictures. I'm your host, S.W. Concer, and we're talking today about stop-motion animation with filmmakers Gerald Howard and Suzanne Moulton. Susie, you mentioned documentaries. When you're watching a documentary about wolves, you'll hear them more than see them. You'll see a lot of the landscape. And that's the reason why you wanted to make this animation so that people could see the wolves more. But you've also got plenty of landscapes. And uh, Gerald mentioned that um, they portray different parts of Oregon that, that Journey the Wolf has made his home at one point or another. Yes, yeah, so um, did a lot of research about along his route. And the part of the film that we're depicting or inspired by his journey is where he ended up meeting his mate and uh, creating a, a whole pack. And it was the first, the wolves were the first to go into western Oregon, and that's down in the Rogue Valley area. And so I would, looked at a lot of different landscapes around that pack's territory to get inspiration. So you see basalt rock forms, you see a lot of the native plants and trees like Douglas firs and all the different sword ferns and even some obscure plants and, and such. So we, we really delved into a lot of native plants and, and put that in there. Also did 
dive into not just the beautiful landscape, but how the landscape is being changed. So we do put in, and you never see, or you very rarely see this in stop motion or animation or even in films where you're showing beautiful landscapes. You don't see the impact of humans so much. So we do have clear cut shown in our film too. Well, Gerald, you've had a lot of experience working for big studios, Will Vinton Studios, uh, Ardman Animation, who are famous for Wallace and Gromit. Your home studio, is that Planet Gerald? That is Planet Gerald. Welcome to Planet Gerald. It's a small planet, but, you know, make yourself at home. Not as small as Little Prince's planet, I think. Uh, (laughs) They're both pretty (laughs) small. It's on par. Well, Gerald, I expect that some of our listeners, especially those who came through the recent pandemic, could find the character of Quarantine Cat quite relatable. Yeah, yeah. I um, I did this project, Quarantine Cat, in, in partnership with uh, Oregon Public Broadcasting. And uh, I was lucky enough, uh, I had been profiled on Oregon Artbeat and, and had become friends with some of the people at OPB. And um, they uh, reached out to me during the quarantine and said, you know, we're basically we're checking in with different people who are artists. The, the theme of, it, of uh, the series that we're doing for YouTube is sort of our artists faring better because they're used to working solitary during this, this pandemic, this sort of quarantine lockdown era. And uh, they asked me if I wanted to do a short piece and I was like, yeah, that sounds fun. So I actually had the cat character left over from a previous production uh, the cat puppet, and uh, so, yeah, I uh, thought, what can I do? And it, it kind of turned into this autobiographical piece of uh, of uh, this cat who's just like becoming depressed, watching the news, and uh, and uh, trying to figure out how to fit in and how to navigate the pandemic, and eating a lot of carbs to to sort of uh, make his way through. Well, there's an old saying that animation isn't just drawing or painting or sculpting. It's acting, it's choreography, it's performance. So uh, Quarantine Cat was really becoming an actor on a stage and a very convincing one. Absolutely. And, and it was interesting, too, because um, it's about sort of this pandemic that we were navigating our way, still navigating our way through, but it was made during sort of the most acute part of the pandemic. So uh, it was made about the pandemic during the pandemic. And um, it's kind of like, you know, we have the vaccine now and everybody's getting their shots. And this was done in sort of the pre-vaccine part of the pandemic. So there was a lot more like, are we going to make this? <laughs> Are we going to make it sort of vibe? People were feeling like really scared and, and you know, how is this going to turn out? So I think, I think it's a little bit more hopeful now. But, um, yeah, that era was really different. And, yeah, there was a lot of fear and less stress and less sadness. So, I, And I kind of wanted to touch on that and, and give it the sort of um, the solemnness that it deserved. But I wanted it also to be as funny as it could be, you know. I didn't, I didn't want to add to the sadness by making a, a sad film that people were going to watch and be like, oh. So, um, yeah, tried to have a little bit of lightness in there, too. A little bit of we're all in this together feeling. Exactly, exactly. Well, Gerald, your filmmaking career 
kind of got its start at the local cable access studios. Yeah, yeah. Actually, it got a big boost there. But um, I, I started out pretty young. Um, me and my best friend started making films when I was like 12 years old. With like a, I saved up my uh, money from cutting lawns and, and doing chores and getting allowances over the summer and bought an old Super 8 camera. And uh, yeah, we just started making films with G.I. Joe's. But uh, uh, I got a big boost when I was going to Portland State and got hired on at Portland Cable Access. It was a TCI cable at the time. And uh, there was a lot of creativity there. There didn't seem to be a whole lot of restrictions on, on what you could get away with. Yeah, it was an interesting place. There was a, it was kind of like a it was like a Jekyll and Hyde. There was a daytime vibe where <laughs> you know there were shows about community affairs and cooking shows. We did like there was like all these daytime programs that we did, but then after hours, yeah, there was a it was kind of like no one was really paying attention, so we got to do like like Houdini says, the freaks come out at night. And this was what the early '90s, when the big music scene in Portland in the Northwest was happening. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, our esteemed engineer Bill Dodge. I was lucky enough to work with him on uh, a lot of shows. This one show in particular called Experiment One, which was uh, a variety show. And we also worked on the Where's the Art program that was hosted by Stevie Pierce. Uh, the 24-hour Church of Elvis, Stevie. The, the, tw- the very same 24-hour Church of Elvis, Stevie Pierce, Stevie G. Pierce. Yeah, with those shows, the after-hour shows, yeah, a lot of creative people came through, and there was a, it was, yeah, it was in that sort of grunge era of music, and Portland's always had, like, a really crazy good music scene, so, yeah, there, we didn't, we didn't have a, a shortage of people that we could, we could call on to, to come in and, and do songs for us. Portland gained a reputation for stop motion. It's been credited at to some extent with re-energizing the form. So along with Bristol, where Ardman Animation is, and a few places overseas, Portland's really a destination for stop-motion animators. International, yeah. yeah. They draw, there's a big draw internationally. And Susie, you have worked, as we mentioned, on Paranorman and on Coraline at Leica. And uh, yeah, every time that a production gets underway, there's lots of people who come to Portland from overseas. Yes, and I feel very lucky that I actually went the other way and worked across the pond in uh, Manchester, uh, Altraham, with uh, McKinnon and Saunders. And uh, they, they're a team... They run a great shop, one of the best shops I've ever worked at, that has trained a lot of the people that have come over and pioneered a lot of the techniques over at Leica. You know, you have um, three mills in London that did the filming of Fantastic Mr. Fox while uh, McKinnon and Saunders made all the main puppets. And so I, I always look at McKinnon and Saunders. They're just the amazing artisans and the gold level, gold standard of engineering and puppetry and stop motion puppetry from, you know, having little winders in the faces for cheek movements and for smiles and for amazing mechanics for eye blinks and just, it's just genius to, to watch, be, be able to watch them put together um, a puppet with all the mechanics on the inside, and then you see these beautiful 
silicone skins being put on and and then wired up to the mechanics on the inside. Susan, I don't know if it's, it's been your experience, but you were talking about animators coming from different places to Portland, but it, it, one thing I, fin- I found really interesting is that um, it used to be in the old days, earlier in my career, that um, you know there was a, sort of the Portland camp, and there was a, a small uh, LA contingency, and there was a group working in San Francisco, and then there was the group in Bristol, England, Ardman. And we would like hear about other people, and we would see their stuff when it came out, and be like, oh, oh, have you seen that thing? And now it's totally different, because there's like people coming from, like you said, like Spain and England, they're working here, or French animators, come, they're coming to work here, and people from here work there. It's just much more uh, like people traveling, and you know, the character fabrication people, same thing, the art directors, the same thing. It's like people are, are working all over the place now. It's, it's much more intermingled and I, I, I like it because it's like you're, you're learning different techniques from different areas, you know, a lot of times. Yeah, that's, that's what's so wonderful about it is you see how different productions solve the same problem but in much different ways and you get to just see all this different creativity and it all kind of come together and mix together. Yeah, and I don't know what changed. I don't know if it's like airlines got cheaper or, or what, but <laughs> yeah, it used to be everyone was in their own isolated camps, but there's much more intermingling now than there was. Yeah, and then as independent producers and creators, now we have things like YouTube at our disposal that we can create an international community across the globe. And, and that's something like with the Noah's Wolf Project that during the pandemic, we kind of pivoted to mentoring and in helping these creators in places like Egypt and India and Turkey be able to get their caliber of animation up to where they want it to be. They can ask us the questions that, you know, things that are hard to find out, like, how come the light flickers in my animation? What what tools are out there? Oh, there's a, a deflicker plugin I can get, you know, and I'll automate that. Or just understanding that it always happens because of the power fluctuations in the power grid. You know, it's just little things that, you know, our community can share with each other just to help each other create what our imagination wants. So, Yeah, it sounds like stop motion is one of the last real hotspots of collaboration. Like so many animation studios that work on television shows, they have their folks working from home these days or working remotely. And it's hard to pick up and share those techniques that you're talking about when you're not in the same space together. Yes, I I think it it can be really hard. I know myself, I have a real drive to do a lot of tutorial videos to show some of the things I've discovered, just especially with non-toxic materials and, and things that are less wasteful processes. So it can make it more accessible to people that don't have the funds to invest in silicone casting, for instance. And I feel like um, different platforms out there in the social media, that's the positive thing that they've really, that can really be put out there is sharing this knowledge base. I, I, I agree. Uh, to piggyback on what Suzanne just said, I, I, <laughs> I hate to be like, get off my lawn, you kids, but like, it's so much easier now, I think, for a young person starting out to to find out how 
a certain production was done or a certain effect was achieved or materials that have been used in, in sets or characters. It's just like, it's incredibly easy now to find that, track that information down and educate yourself on making stop motion animation. Yeah, it used to be like you would get like magazine articles or you would be like researching stuff out of books or something like that or trying to rent VHS tapes and just this archaic stuff. It's like, I don't know how we did it back then. but So I would say, yeah, I, I think the, the people coming up now, uh, seeing artists on TikTok and, and Instagram and like the online uh, social media platforms, there's some really good young people coming up now. So it's, it's uh, encouraging. One of the things about stop motion is it can be jolly, but it really has a lot of capacity for being dark and ominous and creepy. Um, I would say, yeah, internationally more so. I, I, I think, yeah, stuff that we all grew up on this in the States, I think there's just this sort of attitude that animation should be always aimed at kids and it should always be like a kid's medium. Well, I, I grew up on Disney and Warner Brothers car- cartoons, just like everybody else, and Ray Harryhausen and stuff. Um, but yeah, I remember seeing a program of short animated shorts on public broadcasting at one time, and yeah, there were all these like European and Eastern European shorts, and it blew my mind. I was like, a, I was in high school, and I, a, I, I had no idea that you know just a small group of people can make a film. Because all the stuff that I'd grew, grown up on was like big companies. It was, you know, it was Disney and Warner Brothers. And B, yeah, they were talking about like political issues and people in power with doing it in an indirect way that was really palatable with animation so that, you know, they could get the message out but not get in trouble. And it was. Yeah, in it, Czechoslovakia, folks like uh, Jan Svankmeyer could slip social issues kind of camel's nose under the tent. Yeah. You know, with a lot of metaphor and a lot of uh, visual imagery. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And it wasn't. It was just recently that I found that Jan Svankmeyer, who was a big inspiration for me, that his wife is just as much um, wow. to do with his productions. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a team effort, and I just. Um, and she I, didn't get credit. Yeah. She, well, if you look it up, she gets the credit, but very rarely mm-hmm. publicly does she get the credit. So. I just wanted to put that in there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. These days, there's more of an appreciation for groundbreaking women animators, but it took a long time. Yeah. Have you found this, too? Like, um, I feel like a good number of my friends, when they got their start in animation, a lot of their moms or grandmas would make their puppets for them to start animating. And I, I wonder how many people have that shared experience. Yeah. It hasn't been my experience. No. My, my, uh, I, do, I do credit my mom with not killing me for <laughs> making a mess with, like, when, when I was making sets and puppets. So, I mean, that's shout out to mom. That was a big, that's a big deal. Suzanne Moulton is the director of Nowhere's Wolf. And Gerald Howard's latest short film is Quarantine Cat, Cat with a K. So, for our listeners who might be interested in finding out more about your films, where would they look? You can find us at nowhereswolf.com. Our community partners are there. Workshops that I teach are listed there, as well as any events. It's a connection to other groups, too, if you want to advocate or if you want to learn about wolves. There's also resources there as well. 
and also on YouTube, it's Suzy's Workshop. S-U-Z-I-E? S-U-Z-I-E, apostrophe S, Workshop. Yeah. Uh, my stuff is uh, can be found on uh, social media. I am uh, Planet Gerald, P-L-A-N-E-T-J-E-R-O-L-D, on Instagram, and Planet Gerald on YouTube, and my website is planetgerald.com. Well, Suzanne and Gerald, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thanks, Conch. Well, you've been listening to Words and Pictures. I'm your host, S.W. Conser, and we've been talking today about stop-motion animation. Big thanks to Bill Dodge for sitting in today and helping everything sound sharp. And thanks to all our listeners on the radio dial and on the web. You can find an archived version of this show later today at kboo.fm slash wordsandpictures. And be sure to follow us on social media at wordsandpicture.com.